Let's read from the word of the Lord. Psalm 121, I will lift up my eyes to the hills, for where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. You can be seated. Thank you. If you do have your Bible with you, I invite you to open me to Psalm 121 so you can follow along uh, in this passage as we go along. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the chance uh, to be before your word. God, it's a a privilege that we don't want to take lightly. Uh, God, it's an awesome, awesome opportunity uh, to be uh, with you, to be with your people, to be before your word. And so, God, we pray that you would use these moments, these uh, times that we share, God, to shape us, to conform us to the image of your son. God, may we trust in you uh, as we come before your word even now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This is uh, the Sunday after Easter. We had a great, great celebration last week, celebrating what Christ accomplished for us on the cross, coming out uh, of Good Friday and then into Easter Sunday, celebrating the resurrection, the death that leads to life, and it was an an awesome day. The week before that, we uh, finished up the Ten Commandments, our study that we had been doing for most of the spring, and we also had a baptism, which was an incredible Sunday, a great day to celebrate new life, and so... Coming out of those two big Sundays, uh, we, before, before we jump into a, a new series and, uh, and get, get rolling again, I thought this Sunday might be a good chance for us just to go, you know what I mean? I feel that. I don't know if you feel that, but after, after a busy spring, a busy time, big Sundays, big celebrations, today I'm not, I'm not going to uh, uh, start some big ambitious plan. I'll wait for that for next week. But... Right now, I just want us to just enjoy the goodness of God. Now, don't mishear me. It's not that we're going to preach less or, or less depend on God's Word. We would never do that. But I, I want this morning to just be a time for us to soak in the goodness of God, to just celebrate how great He is and enjoy rest and peace and trust and comfort with Him today. And as we do that, I'm reminded of a day where I, I needed that a lot. It was a Tuesday. I very, I very specifically remember. It's March 1st, 2016. And uh, that was the day that my wife, who was 10 days uh, before her due date, woke up with a stomach bug. Uh, Lois, who was a little bit less than two, had already had that stomach bug. I had already had that stomach bug. And now it was mama's turn, who was, you know, over eight and a half months pregnant. It's her turn. So we, uh, we made it, you know, kind of just Trudging through the day, uh, you know, all, whatever plans we had were canceled. Just trying to, I'm trying to take care of Lois. She's just trying to survive. So we called the doctor a few times, you know, hey, you're fine, hey, you're fine, hey, you're fine. Hey, maybe you should come in because you're probably getting dehydrated if you're still throwing up. So we come in and, uh, you know, bring, bring Lois and Rufus probably uh, to meet Amber's dad at the hospital so they could take, they could take Lois and the dog. And, uh, you know, we get checked in and, you know, everything's, everything's fine. Like we just, she just was dehydrated. So we just need to get some IV fluids, put the monitor on the baby, make sure everything's okay. They left us alone in the room. And it was just kind of this peaceful moment of like, 
okay, she still felt nauseous, but at least she's getting the fluids she needs, the baby needs, and it's all good, right? Well, <clears throat> then the door opens, and the nurse comes in, and she's got a mask on, and this is pre-COVID, you know, so they weren't wearing masks before then. So before she said anything, I was like, mask? Mask? Why do you have a mask on? That looks like a surgical mask. Why do you have a surgical mask on? And she very calmly, uh, but very firmly said, we are going to make our way to an emergency C-section. And like the next few minutes are blurry in my head, but I think this is how it happened. At least Amber tells me. Uh, she said the, the, the baby's heart rate, Micah's heart rate, you, you're having, you are having contractions. The baby's heart rate's dropping every time you have a contraction. It would not be safe for you to deliver this baby normally. And so we're going to emergency C-section right now. Your doctor's been called. He'll be here in about 10 minutes. So they give us about 10 minutes to prep you, and we're going down the hall now. Okay? Unlock the wheels of that bed. You know, she doesn't even move. They're, like, signing papers as she rolls, taking contacts out as she rolls. And I'm just trying to keep up. You know, I'm just, like, running. And uh, the nurse at some point, you know, looks at me and says, Dad, here's your surgical, you know, gown thing that looks like a hazmat suit, you know, you got to put on. And uh, you're going to sit right here, Dad, until we call you. So she goes back. I can't go back for surgery prep. They're going to call me you know, for once they get ready. They said, Dad, you're going to sit right here. And I, I, I didn't sit, of course, because I couldn't, you know, couldn't sit. But I stood right there for 10 hours. Okay, not really, but it was like 10 minutes. <laughs> but it felt like 10 hours that I was standing there. And, uh, and so I, I prayed some of the most desperate prayers I've ever prayed in my life. I, I'm sure that everybody that knew what was really going on, I'm sure everything was fine. But, but and there really was. I mean, there's urgency. So I felt like, my, my son and my wife's lives were hanging in the balance. I mean, they had it. I'm sure it was fine. But there was just chaos. And it was like, are, are they going to make it, you know? And so being the, you know, Christ-reliant person I am, I was praying. And I was, but I was searching my mind for a scripture. I, just, I needed to cling to something more than just some, some weak, feeble, stumbly prayers that I could hold on to. And I remember at the time I had been, been working on Romans 8 and thinking a lot about that. So I start with, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm like, that's a good gospel truth, but that's not exactly what I really need right now. And so I'm, I'm racking my brain, and this psalm, Psalm 121, comes to mind. And I'm like, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And that's all I had. I, could, I couldn't remember. I was like, there's something in there about keep. I had this word keep in my mind. And so then, because then, at one point I could, I could quote this thing to you cold, you know. I'm like, oh, I'm so frustrated myself. So I'm like racking my brain. Where does that psalm say? And then all I had was part of verse 7, which is, He will keep your life. He will keep your life. And so for the next 10 hours or 10 minutes, whichever one it was, I don't know, that's what I was praying. I was just clicking, God, please keep their life. Please keep my son's life. Please keep my wife's life. It was a, it was a, it, I was embarrassed at how little of that psalm I could remember, but I was thankful for something to hold on to. I was thankful that when I didn't have the words, I was, when I didn't have enough scripture, I, didn't, I, could, I couldn't pray. I, could, I, didn't, I couldn't give you something, but I could just cling to that. All I had was, He will keep your life. Today, I, I want to I give you that, that verse. I, I want to give you this psalm. I want to give you the whole Bible. But, but if nothing else, just something you can cling to, something you can hold on to, so that whatever's shaken in your world, you can cling to something about God, His goodness, His grace, that you can have confidence in Him, trust in Him. And we need that a lot of times in life, don't we? Some, sometimes it is the big scary moment, like the, your wife goes into emergency C-section moment. You need that. When, the, when the, the, the job, you know, when somebody says, walks in and says, I'm sorry, sir, you no longer have a job. When, 
when, when the financial market drops, when, when tragedy strikes. There are big moments we need something to hold on to. But there's also a lot of moments that are just like Monday mornings, right? Just your everyday life where you need something to cling to. You need to be able to hold on to something. I never, I never read Psalm 121 without thinking about the, the comfort that it was to me on that day that I could trust in God no matter what happens. And so Psalm 121 I want to give you today because it starts, it starts this way. I lift my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? We all need help. Whether, whether we realize it or not, at some point we probably will recognize it, that we all need help. And the psalmist's question is our question, where do we turn to for help? What, what do you rely on? What do you trust in? When, when your earth is shaking, when, when there's major disappointments, or just when it's Monday morning, what do you rely on for help? Who do you turn to? Where do you turn for help? But I want to raise the stakes maybe just a little bit further. Beyond just your, your, your everyday things or the big tragedies, what about the big questions in life? Like, how do you know, if you know Jesus and you have a relationship with Him, how do you know tomorrow you're still going to trust Him? How do you know that your relationship with God really is sure and certain? What, what confidence do you have that tomorrow you're not going to just turn your back on God forever? How, can, how, how do you trust that? How, what trust, what is your confidence in for that? What about, what about your relationships with your parents or your kids or your marriage? How do you trust? What, what confidence do you have that those are going to continue? How, how, how do you have any faith, any trust that you're going to keep holding on and that this is going to continue? What about your, 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 own, your own holiness? Who's to say that this week you're not going to have, have a lapse of judgment have an incredible moral failure and things are just going to, everything that's normal is going to be stripped away. What, what do you hold on to to say, I, I, I have confidence that we're going to make it? How, how do you know this church is still going to be here next Sunday? What, what confidence do you have that things are going to continue? Where do you turn? What do you look to? I lift my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And in verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Here's, here's how I want to encourage you today. Look to the Lord. He will keep your life. Look to the Lord. He will keep your life. We all need help in lots of ways. And if we are basing our strength, our confidence, our assurance on ourselves, we should have zero confidence in life. We should have zero confidence if our confidence is based on us. If you think you can, you just have a very high view of yourself. And you will be humbled eventually. I know I have. I have no confidence. If my, if my assurance of my faith, if my assurance of my moral purity, if my assurance in my ability to, to continue trusting God, if my assurance that, my, that I'm going to continue in marriage, that I'm going to continue in ministry, if all that is based on me, I got nothing. I have zero confidence, but because my confidence isn't in me, it's in the Lord, I can rest assured that He will keep my life. Where do you look? What are you looking to? Are you looking to the Lord or are you looking to yourself? For everybody who has put their faith in Jesus, everybody who has said, I, I confess I'm a sinner and I need God's forgiveness. I need what Christ did on the cross and His resurrection to pay for my sins and give me new life. For everybody who is a Christian, you can have, and you do have that same confidence. You can have the same assurance 
that your trust, your, your assurance before the Lord, it, it's, it's, it's sure. You have a firm footing. You can have that confidence. And if you don't yet know the Lord, I pray that even in this psalm, even in this message today, you, God will, will so move your heart, so stir your heart to say, I, I see what He's done, I see His goodness and His grace, and that He is a far greater source of strength than me, and that you will trust in Him today. For all who do know Him, today, today's message, I hope, can be an encouragement that you'll keep looking to Him, that you'll trust in Him in a new way, and keep trust that He will keep your life. Find assurance, find confidence in Him. Psalm 121 uses the word, that the ESV translates it, keep. Some other translations will, will change around the translation depending on how it goes. But the, the word here is used uh, six times in eight verses, and the ESV keeps it the same all the way through, keep. It's a word that means to guard, to watch over, to attend, carefully to keep. And anytime something shows up six times in eight verses, that's really helpful to me as somebody who's you know, not all that bright sometimes. Like, okay, I get the clear message. If it's six times in eight verses, here's the point. God's going to keep you. God is the one who keeps you. Look to the Lord. He will keep your life. Psalm 121, you'll notice at the top of this, this psalm and the ones before it and afterward, this is, these are called a song of ascent. This is a series of psalms uh, here in the book of Psalms that uh, probably had a handful of different contexts, but one of the main reasons these were, one of the main ways they were used is that when people were heading up to Jerusalem for worship, especially for one of the, Pas- one of the f- festivals like Passover. So if somebody lived up in Galilee, kind of in the northern part of Israel, they would have come down south down the, down the uh, Jordan River, and then they would have gone, turned west, and they would have gone thousands, they've had to rise thousands of feet in elevation to go up to the city of Jerusalem. And so they are heading up to worship, up to celebrate and to worship God. That's where they're headed. And so as they're doing that, they're looking up, and they probably have a, a few different emotions. A couple of things are going on. For one, they're, they're filled with anticipation. There's some excitement. They're headed to worship the Lord. This is going to be a great and joyous moment that they get to have together. But the road from Jericho toward Jerusalem is also known for being quite treacherous. This is a place full of, as they rise up in the mountains, that are kind of windy roads and places that robbers and different people could hang out. This is where the, Jesus tells the parable of the, the Good Samaritan. Somebody headed that way could be fearful that they are the person left on the side of the road, like the man that the Good Samaritan helped was. So maybe there's things, as as this psalmist is looking toward Jerusalem, maybe some mixture of those emotions are going on in their life. But as the song was recorded, then this road, this this song became a a picture of a bigger story of what happens in life many times. Right? We're looking to the road ahead, and there's all kinds of things that are ahead of us. All kinds of emotions we're filled with. Maybe we got, as you look to the road ahead in your life, there's some things you're excited about. You're anticipating some great joys and celebrations. Or maybe those hills represent some things you're afraid of, some anxiety, some things you're worried, things you're concerned about. And Psalm 121 reminds us that as we look on this path through the hills, to the the path of what's ahead, whether we are filled with anticipation or anxiety, we can know where, where we turn for help, whatever's ahead. We know that we can look to the Lord, and He is the one that will keep us. That's the call for us today. What, what does that looking look like? What, what does it look like for you to look to the Lord? Well, when your eyes are fixed on the hills, when your eyes are fixed on the thing in front of you, it can become all-consuming, can't it? 
If you've got something big in front of you, if you've got something you're excited about or something you're nervous about, that can become your whole world wrapped around that one thing. Maybe it's the, 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 the surgery that's scheduled. Maybe it's the test you've got to take. Maybe it's the big game, the interview, a bill that's due. Maybe it's a, a vacation that's coming, graduation. Whatever the next big thing is, as your eyes are focused on that thing, it can become all-consuming. Your whole world revolves around this next thing that's down the path just a few steps. And the psalmist teaches us something very powerful. He says, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. You see what he does there? He's looking at the hills, but his eyes don't stay on the hills. They look a little higher to the one who made the hills. If the first time you think of that thing, the thing that's bothering you, the thing you're excited about, the, just Monday morning, whatever it is that's a little bit down the road that becomes all-consuming, that stresses you or gives you hope or excitement, if, if your focus is on that, it can overtake you. But what if the next time you do that, instead of looking to that, you look to the Lord? You lay that thing before the Lord and say, God, this is what's before me, and I'm trusting you to help me through this. What if the next time you think about it, instead of being consumed by it, you prayed over it and you handed it to God? Why is, it, why is God one worth worshiping? Why is He the one worth handing it to? Because the, the hill that you're so worried about, the mountain that you're so scared of, He's the one that made the things in front of you. So the psalmist is looking at this, where, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. There, there's nothing in those hills God doesn't have control over. There's no hill before you that God isn't in control over. God's got it. God's got it. God is the creator of all things. God, did, God has never created something on the earth and it kind of get, get out of hand and get away from him where he no longer has control of it. Right? Like take Mount Everest. It, it's not too big for God. He, he created the sun. <laughs> if He created the sun, no mountain on earth, a mountain on earth compared to the sun, tiny, and all the other stars. God's never made something on earth that, that's out of His control, that's kind of gotten away from Him where He can no longer manage it. And the same is true about the circumstances in your life. God has never orchestrated the circumstances in your life in such a way that He can no longer manage. It's never run away from Him where He can no longer control it. Whatever is ahead for you may be huge, but... God brought His Son through crucifixion and out of an empty tomb. If He can do that and through the circumstances of the world, He can handle our stuff. He can handle our situations. He can handle whatever we're facing. We can trust the Lord because He is our Creator. He is our Creator. And the psalm gives you another reason why you can trust Him. He's our Creator and He never sleeps. He never sleeps. Verse 3 and 4. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. As powerful as God is, it would be of little comfort to us if he took naps. <laughs> because if he stopped for just a moment looking out for us, that would be the moment that things would go wrong and he wouldn't be there paying attention. If God was sleeping on the job, we would have no comfort in him. And yet the psalm tells us he never takes a break. He's never, he's never distracted. He's never sleeping on the job. He never gets too worn out by our problems and too bothered by all our prayers. That he just says, I need a break. Get it out for a minute. And goes and leaves us to take a nap. That'll never happen. Psalm uh, Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie. And I really like that because I, I think this ver another verse could say, this isn't in the Bible, this is just me. God is not a man 
that he should lie down and sleep. God is always attentive. God never sleeps. He's never drifting off. He will always be paying attention. He's the creator over all things. Created all those mountains, all those hills in front of you, whatever's in your path. He created it, and he's always in control. He's always paying attention. Charles Spurgeon has an incredible book on the Psalms. It tells a number of great stories. I never know if they're real or they're just illustrations, but either way, they're good stories. He tells of a, of a poor woman uh, who lived in a kingdom and lost something very valuable one time. And so she came to the king to report the problem, and the king asked, how did you lose it? And she replied, I fell asleep, and a robber entered my dwelling. The king asked, why did you fall asleep? And the woman answered, I fell asleep because I believed you were awake. The king was so delighted by the woman's answer that he ordered in his, for his treasury to make up for her loss. Even kings and kingdoms must sleep, but our God never does. Our God never sleeps. We can sleep in safety because our God is always awake. He's always awake. And because he's awake, what, what does he protect us from? The psalm says, verse 3, He will not let your foot be moved. Again, this is somebody picturing they're walking up these mountains, windy dirt roads through the mountains. You can picture the, the, the stubble or whatever it is that you may fall on. It says, no, we can trust God to keep our foot steady on the path. That we are, if we are following God, we are on a sure path. And we can trust Him to keep us on the path. It may not be the path that we thought we'd be on. It may not be where we thought we'd be. But if we continue to follow the Lord, He is with us. He's holding our foot sure. He, we can trust that we can follow Him. And we can trust Him to keep us from harm. It says to keep us from the sun and the moon. Verse 5 and 6, The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. You know, this is, we, we're only in uh, April, coming into May here, and already they're starting to warm up. You know what that August sun feels like here. It is brutal. If you are outside for a long time with no breaks, that sun can beat you down. It can be awful. But it also says the moon. Do you notice that? That may be a little bit of a head scratcher. Why do we need protection from the moon? Well, it's common in different cultures to kind of view the, the, the especially in ancient cultures, to blame the mood for kind of weird sicknesses or emotions, kind of like we blame our kids for being too hyper when it's the full moon, you know. But that's the kind of the idea, ancient world way of saying day and night, day and night God's protecting you. Day and night God is watching over. He's caring for you. And instead of having to bear the full brunt of all the elements in life, He provides to us a shade. He is a shade to us when things are hard. Verse 5, uh, Tim Keller comments about verse 5, that God gives us a spiritual refreshment of His presence. It's like being back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve would walk with God in the cool of the day. Instead of having to face all the hardships in life by ourselves, God is like a shade to us. He's like a comfort to us that He is walking with us to give us the joy of His presence day by day. Look to the Lord. He will keep you. He will keep your life. Similarly, in verse 7, we read, The Lord will keep you from all evil. No evil power can overtake a person who knows the Lord. If you know Jesus, if Jesus is your Savior, if you have trusted in Him, the devil has no power over you. He can tempt, he can roar, he can roam all he wants. He can gnash his terrible teeth and raise his terrible claws, and he will not have control over you. No evil can overtake you. God and God alone is in control. You'll never show up, you'll, you'll, you'll never face something that is beyond God's power. He can keep you from all evil. That's what He protects you from, but what about where He protects you? Verse 8, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in. 
He protects you as you rise in the morning, as you leave from your home and go about the task you face. You go out to your job, out to your school, out to your responsibilities, and He protects you as you go. And He protects you as you come back home, as you come back to your family, come back to the things you have going on. You will never show up somewhere and realize God isn't there. You will never come back home and realize God has left you. God comes with you and goes with you everywhere you go. He is always with you. And when does He protect you? Verse 8, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Forevermore. The Lord protects you today from this time. Right now, the Lord is protecting you. You don't have to wait around for the Lord and wonder if He's going to show up to help you. He is with you and He is protecting you right now. How do you think your heart was beating for the last minute, some 60, 80 times? You weren't doing it. You weren't telling your heart to beat. You were listening very attentively to the sermon that was being preached. You weren't thinking about your heart. What about the breath that hit your lungs the first time you breathed this morning? God is protecting you. God's watching over you. God is giving you good gifts. Look to the Lord. He will keep your life today and forever. Forever. Will He ever stop keeping you? Will God ever stop protecting you? Will, ever, will God reach a point where He says, that's, that's good enough, now I'm going to leave and do something else? No. He will, he will watch over you. He will keep you going out and you're coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Forevermore. For everyone who knows the Lord, God will never stop protecting you. He will never stop keeping you. His protection doesn't just last a lifetime. It lasts an eternity. An eternity. Not just all the way to the grave, but right on through it. Right on through it. When Psalm 121.7 was first written down, it was written down in anticipation, in, 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 in hope of what God had promised would happen. But now this side of the cross, we know it to be true. We know it to be true. When, Psalm, when you read that verse, He will keep your life, you know, somebody could say, well, I mean, what about, what about my grandmother? What, what about my mom? What about my child? What about somebody who has passed away? We know that this is true because of what we celebrated last Sunday, the resurrection. God does not promise us an earthly eternity. That would be miserable anyway. God promises for all who trust in Him that we will have a far greater life, that the grave is just the beginning, that we will have a greater life with Him. The only way Psalm 121, 7 and 8 is true is because of Easter. It was written before then, but fulfilled when Christ rose from the grave. The only way we can trust God to keep our life and our going out and our coming in from this time forth and forevermore is that Jesus defeated the grave forever. Forever. For all who believe in Jesus as Savior, our hope is in Him, that we will not perish as our bodies do. God will keep us forever. Surely one of our most common fears in life, the things that we fear most, is harm or death. But as followers of Christ, even the worst pains and even death itself has no power over us. No power over us. Yes, that is far easier said than lived, but it is no less true that the grave cannot stop you. Caitlin read for us uh, Romans chapter 8, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you believe that? Do you believe that nothing will separate us? And what are we so afraid of? Why are we so focused on the hills? Why are we so focused on what's to come? We're so worried about the thing to come. And yet we can trust that hill was made by God. 
And he's promised there's nothing that will separate us from the love of the Lord. Matthew 10, 28, Jesus told us, Do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul. We have something far greater than just this earthly world to worry about. God has come for our soul, and he is the one who saves our soul forever. Philippians 1, 6, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. As Christians, physical death, though sad, though mournful, though tragic, is just the step to life. We actually gain as Christians when we walk with the Lord. Look to the Lord. He will keep your life. There's a great missionary in the 1800s named Adoniram Judson who went to what's now Myanmar, and he said this, He has not led me so tenderly this far to forsake me at the very gate of heaven. God has been with you all along. He will not forsake you for eternity. He is with us today and forevermore. For some of you, perhaps that encouragement is going to have to take some time to sink in. You're going to have to, to marinate in that a little bit. The hills before you are a little bigger than just a few minutes of reading Psalm 121 can fix. You're going to have to, to sink in that for a minute. Maybe Monday morning tomorrow is just too intimidating. You've got too many things on the horizon. Your list is too long. You've got too many things to worry about to begin to think about this. Well, can I give you just, just one more encouragement from this psalm? One more thing to notice about this. And this really helps me understand what the, why this psalm was written the way it was written. Psalm 121 starts with I statements. It says, I lift my eyes to the hills. Right? It starts with, I talk about I, first person. But then in verse 3, it switches to you. It says, second, so second person, you, uh, he will not let your foot be moved. So as you read that, you go, well, did somebody come join him on the road? Did he start talking to his buddy? He says, I'm lifting my eyes to the hills. Let me tell, no, no, he's not, I mean, maybe. But you know who he's talking to? The guy in the mirror, if he had one. He's talking to his own soul. He's talking to his own heart. His own heart is taking some convincing, isn't it? As much as I may tell this to you, and as much as I believed it that day in the, right outside the C-section operating room, I, it takes some convincing sometimes. Sometimes you can say all the right things. God is our creator. God never sleeps. He's in control of all things. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. I don't believe it. You're wrestling with it. And that's why that we have the Word of God. That's why we have the Word of God, to preach it to our own hearts, to say to our own souls, trust in this heart. Trust in this, Philip. Trust in this. You can believe it. It's here, even if your heart takes some convincing. He will not let your foot be moved. He's not asleep. He's watching over you. He will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. It might take some convincing, but you can preach it to your heart and trust that He's with you. You may be tempted to think in life, you know what? That hill's big, but I got it because I got enough money to throw at the problem. Or that hill's big, but I know in my intelligence I can face that problem. I, I got enough family, I got enough support, I got enough this people, I got that people. And, and God may have given you all kinds of great blessings. And there's all kinds of things God can use to help you overcome that battle. But if your trust is in those things, they can be gone in a moment. They can be gone in a moment. Our trust is not in the things of this world. Our trust is in the one who made this world and who rules over all things. Psalm 20, verse 7, Some trust in chariots, others in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. John Calvin said, We should gather together whatever may be found throughout the whole of Scriptures concerning the providence of God until this doctrine that God always keeps watch for us is deeply rooted in our hearts so that depending on His guardianship alone, we may bid adieu 
goodbye to all the vain confidences of this world. Charles Spurgeon said, None are so safe as those who trust God keeps them. None so much in danger as the self-secure. The self-secure. We, this week, the four, four of the elders, we got to go to a Together for the, Together for the Gospel conference, which was incredible. And those, those talks are online. I know Dan and, and Brad uh, talked about it in their class this morning. Uh, so if you want to go follow up with that, you can. At one point, one of the interviews, uh, John Piper said something I've heard him say uh, a handful of times. He said, one of, the, one of the prayers he prays most often is, Lord, keep me. Lord, keep me. One of the questions I asked you at the beginning was, if you're a believer in Jesus, how do you know you're still going to be a believer tomorrow? How do you know that the most important things in life, the biggest questions in life, how do you know it's not all just going to change tomorrow? What confidence do you have? Are you rest assured in just how sure you are? Are you rest assured because of how smart you are and how much you can read the Bible? Or is your assurance placed in God? Is He the one that you trust in? Is He the one you put your confidence in? Do you trust in God above all things? He is the one that will keep us. He is the one that our assurance is placed on. We trust and we know that things are going to be okay for now and for eternity. It may not be like we want to. may not be the path we wanted to be. But we can trust that God who is good is creator and he's not asleep. He's watching over us and we can look to him and he will keep your life. One more story from that book from Charles Spurgeon. Again, no idea if this has actually happened or just a good parable, but a great story nonetheless. He records this. I just want to read it to you. A number of years ago, Captain D commanded a vessel sailing from Liverpool, England to New York. And on one voyage, he and all his family with him were aboard the ship. One night, when they were quietly asleep, there arose a sudden squall of wind that came sweeping over the waters until it struck the vessel and instantly threw her on its side, tumbling and crashing everything that was movable and awakened the passengers to a consciousness that they were imminently in peril, in danger. Everyone on board was alarmed and uneasy, and some sprang from their beds and began to dress that they might be ready for the worst. Captain D had a little girl on board, just eight years old, who of course woke with the rest, and she said, What's the matter? The frightened, that's what the frightened child said. They told her a squall had struck the ship, and she asked, Is father on deck? They replied, Yes, your father's on deck. The little girl laid back down on the pillow, and again, without fear, in a few, few moments, was sleeping soundly in spite of the wind and the waves. Look to the Lord. He will keep your life. Let's pray. Father, what a blessing to know that you are awake today. Father, we may have struggled to wake up, but you didn't have to. You've always been awake. You've always been attentive. You've always been paying attention to our lives. You've always been watching over the world, watching over our going out and our coming in. And Father, as you do, you have watched us struggle with so little faith. God, you've watched us wring our hands and worry and stress and build big mountains in front of us that we think are just insurmountable. You've watched us be concerned about things that are just not all that important. Or even if they are, we don't have the power to stop them or continue them or keep going. And so, God, we confess that we believe and we need you to help us in our unbelief. God, as we face uh, the days ahead, just a regular week, regular task, regular opportunities that you have called us to, God, we pray that you would strengthen our hand and focus our eyes on you, that we would trust in you. 
God, for all who believe in you, we can know without a shadow of a doubt you will keep our life. You will keep it. It may not look like we want it to. It may not be exactly what we're picturing. But we can trust that you will keep our life. And Father, who, whoever is here who does not know you does not have that confidence. They do not have that faith because they don't know you. But Father, they can. And so God, I pray that the same Spirit who raised Christ from the dead would be at work in our hearts right now. God, that we would turn to you. We'd trust in you above all else. That we'd turn from our sins, turn from our our self-assurance, our self-focus, and put our trust in you. God, you sent Christ. He paid for our sins. He defeated the grave. And we don't need any more proof than that. You're in control. And you're with us. God, may we trust in you today. In a new way. And maybe even for the first time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.